Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking Reflections, a special series from the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast. I am your co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I am your other co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And this is our short series about short poems to close out Poetry Month 2020. Just as we looked at haiku to close out Poetry Month 2019, we have put together another little series of daily episodes thematically linked. And these are all short poems that are great springboards for reflection, contemplation, and meditation. And of course, before we get into today's stellar selection from American poetry goddess herself, Emily Dickinson, our <laughs> briefly our gentle reminder that we do very much appreciate it. If you have a second and you like what we do here, if you hop on over to Apple podcasts or the iTunes store, however you like to think about that great algorithmical Eden uh, and give us a little rating and review because those are a great way to help us find new listeners by boosting us up on the old iTunes algorithm, uh, which is always appreciated. We are here to dig into the poetry of Emily Dickinson, a personal favorite of mine. Uh, and we are talking about her poem number 269, otherwise known as Wild Nights. Wild Nights. So this is Wild Nights by <laughs> Emily Dickinson. <laughs> wild Nights. Wild Nights. Where I with thee, wild nights should be our luxury. Futile, the winds, to a heart in port. Done with the compass, done with the chart. Rowing in Eden, ah, the sea. Might I but more tonight in thee. Aw, I like this poem a lot. It's a really good one. Um, and the uh, the title of the recent movie about Emily Dickinson was taken from this, Wild Nights with Emily, starring SNL alum Molly Shannon as Emily Dickinson in a pretty fun revision uh, and addition to the Emily you thought you knew. Check out Wild Nights with Emily. <laughs> Is it actually good? I, I've been interested in it, but I haven't I haven't seen it yet. It's quite good. It's very fun and funny. Uh, and it does a great job of making Emily Dickinson a three-dimensional human being character and not this, you know, waifish, white-dressed, locked-away person. Um, it sort of takes very seriously the notion that she was an incredibly intelligent woman living in the 1860s in the United States who was wildly creative and well-informed. And while she might not have gone out and about as much as other people, uh, she, in fact, had a vibrant intellectual life. Cool. That's, no, that sounds amazing. Plus, if you're into the uh, queering of Emily Dickinson, which has been an ongoing scholarly project, uh, it's it's in there. Nice. That's Big good. Time. Yeah. That's good. That's important. Yeah, because this poem is like such a, I mean, based on what how you've described the movie, it's a, it's a perfect title to take from because, you know, um, I feel like one of the the main stereotypes is like, I don't know, like the the this poem is so full of passion and so full of like, um, you know, fervor and love and desire, and I feel like I grew up thinking, you know, being a shut in who could, <laughs> if you're trapped in a room who could who could ever want anything if that's the life you've you know, you've led or whatever. Um, but it's, 
it's clearly not the case. And this, this poem is like, you know, it's good that there are, you know, new works of representation that are kind of like making that point, but it's also abundantly clear in the, you know, the poetry itself, as this poem shows. Um, so, and yes, I mean, on the, on the nose, but as we are, uh, many of us are <laughs> living our own versions of Dickinson's um, sort of uh, solitudinous uh, life. It's, it's nice to see such life uh, in her poetry um, and to know that her life was, you know, quite full. Absolutely. And as we discussed, I believe, in our episode on Emily Dickinson, our full episode back when on To Make a Prairie, part of the reason she wore white is that she viewed white as the color of passion because it contained all other colors. She wasn't like cut off from the world, much as that we have a lot more technology for it to be this way. We are in some ways all currently in our, you know, social distancing and and self-isolating uh were, you know, maybe in our own rooms, but there are still so many ways to be connected and involved with the world, even when you're at home most of the time. Uh, so that's another nice little object lesson from Emily Dickinson. <laughs> she was, she was FaceTiming all the time. She was. <laughs> they called her FaceTime Emily. <laughs> <laughs> the queen of Zoom. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about it, but you know, it's, you are, um, I know this one, I don't know. I'm just curious what you think about it because it's it's the one you picked and uh, you always have a lot of great insights on Dickinson. Uh, the thing that I really like about this poem is the sense of energy in it because a lot of her poems, as varied as her output is, I feel like the energy that's in this poem is is a little different from a lot of her writing, even when she's writing about subjects that she has a lot of passion for. So she writes a lot about you know, she loved to garden. She loved to be um, with the natural world. She writes a lot about that stuff. You can feel the passion and the connection there to make a prairie is a good example of that, where it's like a deep consideration of nature. But the specific kind of energy and abandon that is in this poem is something that I really like about it and is something that I feel like shows up less often in her other work. Yeah. And so, you know, the poem is obviously very short, but, you know, it's kind of like this poem of of longing and address to this you and it's you know it's like if i were with you like we'd have wild nights and it would be wonderful um but you know and and there's this kind of like great um sort of seafaring metaphor that like emerges in the second two stanzas where you know, feudal the winds to a hard and port, um, which is such a great, like, I, yeah, it's like, these winds might have blown me to you, but I am docked. <laughs> my heart, my heart is docked. Um, and, you know, like done with the compass, done with the chart. Um, and then, you know, at the end, rowing in Eden, there's the rowing and like, you know, might I, but more, you know, dock in the um, in the sea. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's kind of hallmark for, um, I think she's just such a great metaphor maker and like kind of, you know, like exploring 
the fun thing is like, you know, emotions, desires are, you know, it's not a, it's not just a simple, you know, I want you, there's a, there's a particular nature and complexity to this, you know, desire and like the way that the metaphor like allows um, Dickinson and the speaker to kind of like express those nuances, I feel like is pretty amazing. You know, like feudal, the winds to a heart in port. It's such a interesting way of thinking about like, because like I can't be with you, it doesn't matter how like turbulent or passionate or how much the fates are trying to get us to be together or whatever the winds might be, you know. And I feel like that kind of feeling is so well captured by that, you know, sort of elegant, but like um, just like well put metaphor. Um, and part of her skill as a metaphor maker that you're pointing to is that she embeds within it these really captivating imagistic concepts. And just the idea of a heart in port is something you can spend a lot of time with as an idea, which is part of this larger seafaring metaphor. But that phrase sits there and sort of demands more thought and investigation as you go through. Not only does it create this whole other level of you know, possible inquiry, but it does it while reaffirming and reinforcing the seafaring metaphor, which is pretty cool. Yeah, totally. And it's, uh, it's beautifully, son it's like beautiful sonically, um, like the kind of, there's a, you know, she's like the master of the half rhyme and the slant rhyme, um, you know, and so like you have the port rhyming with chart, but then there's that, extra internal like heart in port then the heart is the perfect rhyme with chart um and she kind of like is combining all of that um which is which i love um and yeah it's like it's i don't know it's so cool um and it, it just it you know it makes me like that was what, kind of one of the images that i could sort of most immediately kind of grasp the greater kind of say meaning of, you know, it was interesting then like, okay, so feudal the winds to a hard in port and then like done with the compass, done with the chart, um, which is like interesting, I think like, so, you know, compass and chart, those are, those are ways of uh, directing your ship and, you know, like navigating um, and so I suppose it's like, because we're in port, there's no need for navigation kind of thing in like a, a sort of, um, but it, but it's, I don't know, there's something about it, it's like phrased very interesting, like done with the kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it just, it was, it was curious to me. Um, I also find that really interesting and it almost feels like it injects this recklessness into what would otherwise be a pretty stationary scene. Cause there's this feeling to me of like futile, the winds puts you almost in a storm situation. So the heart's in port, but it's getting buffeted, but right. then done with the compass done with the chart. It's like, even though you you might go out again, this person is throwing their navigational equipment overboard and they're like, ah, <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> you know while the winds blow in the sails and rain lashes across the deck even though the ship is anchored at port they're like 
ah, this is a crazy night. It's a wild night. I'm going crazy. You know, it gives that sort of sensation. I feel like, yeah. Um, <laughs> where it's not saying, you know, the tools that once guided me useless now that I am stationary in my, you know, safe birth. It's not, there's no sense of safety and no sense of stillness. It's all yeah, still happening. Right. It's very like damn the torpedoes vibe um, mm, kind yes. of thing. Um, yeah. No, that's such a good point. Um, yeah. And cause, cause it is kind of like, there i feel like a lot of the time this sort of poem like a poem of desire or longing um which is such a you know a kind of um you know very common recurring theme in well you know everything but poetry i think especially in certain ways um especially because it's it's often this like from me to you kind of thing um but like there's kind of like this obviously you know the end of the poem might i but more tonight in thee there's a wish to like be with the thee be with the you but at the same time it's you know as you were saying like with the gaunt done with the chart done with the compass um it's not like a resigned like you know, alack the day, it's almost like reveling in the desire itself, even though like, it's not like fulfilled, I guess, you know? Um, And I feel like that's so present, especially just the way that it starts with like wild nights, wild nights, were I with thee, wild nights should be our luxury. Um, Like it's not beginning, were I with thee, like, man, we'd have some wild nights. It's like wild nights and I'll say it again and then I'll say it a third time. Um, so it's kind of like basking in the glory of, of you know, like what isn't, but what could be. Um, and yeah, I think you're so right that like the, the, the done with the, that kind of tone really is like one of, is, is, contributing to that kind of sort of sense yeah Uh, there's almost an enjoyment of the desire yes yeah yeah like there's Uh, no distress about being in the state of desire unfulfilled it's almost like that too is being treated as something that is in its own way exciting which is such a real thing when when you know certain kinds of desire are in play that can also be just like a really intense um not necessarily enjoyable but like a feeling that you that would be if not enjoyable at least exciting and full of potential and expectation and ex- and excitement about what might be and you get that real sense of feeling in this where it's not just like pining desire or longing desire um or melancholy tinged desire it's like that buzzing got a crush on somebody desire (laughs) yeah yeah for sure for sure um no yeah and i mean it's to go back to the shakespeare like his kind of comedies and the the romantic narratives like they're all they you know it always ends with the wedding but it's like 
you know, there's nothing after that. It's like, it's all of the drama and the excitement is about like, uh, you know, can I find them? Will they love me? Like I love them, you know, now I must go gender bending away into the night. Um, and yeah, there's like a funny play uh, that's like more contemporary. That's like, I think it's Good Morning Desdemona, Good Night Juliet or something like that. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are married. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's in the vein of the great Shakespeare rewrites. Um, but that the Desdemona Juliet one, and there's the the main character is kind of like a, sco- a Shakespearean scholar, and she's like sort of mad about Romeo and Juliet because, well, a she's like it's basically a comedy, but then just shit goes really wrong at the end and so it but it's like but all of the things that go wrong it's like not the fatal flaw of the of the characters it's like a comedy of errors that is just <laughs> ends in death um <laughs> it's a death farce <laughs> a death farce um but the other thing that was that i thought was really funny is like if the play if they had gotten together like then they'd be like Oh God! Like now we have to like live the left. Now we have to be married, and like it would be like the last scene of the Graduate. Yes, it would be like the last scene of the Graduate. Oh my God, that's so true. That face, you can't forget that face. Which is just yeah, like the both. You know, partly it's just like narratively the the desire and the uncertainty and volatility of that is more interesting, but it's also just like true. I think emotionally that like, that is like, although it's kind of anguish inducing, um, it is very exciting. Um, And I think this poem is like such a, such a wonderful, you know, like expression of that excitement. Absolutely. All of the sentences end in an exclamation point. <laughs> yes, there's they lots do. of dashes in between, as she is wont to do, but it's all exclamation points like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so true. Um, yeah, I'm curious. What, so, what do you make of the last stanza? Because there's, there's in some ways, some clear continuations of you know, like, might I, but more tonight in thee, you know, like, is, you know, and, you know, rowing in Eden, there's like the seafaring image and the desire to be with the person. But like, there's also, it's like different in certain ways. Like, for one, Eden is like, kind of new uh, as a place. And rowing also is like, the boat that I imagined in the second stanza that's in port is not, was not a rowboat. Um, and I was, then I like, was thinking of more of a frigate. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a steamship. No, no. I was seeing like a frigate. A fr- a frigate. <laughs> like, you know, a real, a real old timey frigate. A little old timey. So what do we make of that? And what do we make of, ah, the sea, you know? 
Um, I just, there's like, there's clearly a lot of continuity, but there's a lot of new elements in the end. And I, I was curious, you know, what you made of that. Yeah, it's interesting because as distinct as the second, the th- there's the three stanzas and two of them are in this ocean metaphor. But in many ways, I feel like the third one is the one that feels like the most separate from the other two. Because there is this change in feeling, even though the the metaphor stays the same between the second and the third stanza, the first two feel like they're in the same tone and this feels like a tone shift. Uh, yeah, and I don't necessarily know where I go with it, but you are absolutely correct that the rowing is a little bit surprising because I also don't initially picture an o- uh, a rowboat. Like, rowboats aren't in port. They're just kind of dumped on the beach. You know, you grab one when you need to go out rowing. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not a big deal. They don't need to, they don't need right. to be ported. Um, yeah. And it's also this sort of more direct pursuit perhaps that's going on where the speaker is in the rowboat chasing after the the person or the thing that they want in a way that in the first two, you don't get that same sense. Um, and then there's right. this more direct desire that follows on to that, which is, you know, wild nights would be our luxury and winds are futile and the port and the compass and the chart are gone. But here it's might I, but more tonight in thee. it's, the direct, the more direct address of desire, because the first, the first stanza comes close to that, but it's sort of saying, "Hey, things would be great if we were together." And by the end of it, the speaker says, "Well, actually, I really want us to be together." It's not just that you know, if I was with you, it would be really cool. Uh, it's like, I, I do actually just want to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really right. Yeah. And I think it is, it's true that the speaker is much more active in the the final stanza where she's doing the rowing. She's on the sea. She has the, at least is able to think about mooring with, with the, with the you. Um, yeah, no, that's really true. Um, it's funny that Eden, because it, I guess it, in some ways it sort of affirms kind of what we were saying of the, like, delighting in the desire, because, like, while, um, the mooring is the desire at the end, like, the sea and the kind of rowing, um, that's the Eden, I guess, you know, that's like the, the paradise or whatever, um, so there's like something whereas like presumably and maybe i'm just reading too far into it but presumably once you've moored somewhere you leave the sea and you know like you leave eden and i guess maybe it's like kind of like well i'd love to just freaking bite the apple and you know get this shit over with because uh i'm tired of my my uh pre prelapsarian days are a bit boring um and this I, snake won't shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah so I, yeah i don't know it's 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 interesting um but no it's it's a really beautiful poem um and yeah i just i like to, I don't know, the, 
the kind of return of the rhymes in the last stanza of the of the e rhymes you know in the beginning we have the i mean it it's oftentimes just the actual word coming back you know like wild nights where i with thee um and then we have ah the sea might i but more tonight in thee um but there's a there's a great kind of return that makes the poem feel um i don't know very closed in a in a satisfying way i think um should we read it again let's read it again wild nights wild nights number 269 by emily dickinson wild nights wild nights were i with thee wild nights should be our luxury futile the winds to a heart in port done with the compass done with the chart rowing in eden ah the sea might i but moor tonight in thee Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossner Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. And the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.